Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we're placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And that's the collect appointed for today, the 18th of September, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. It's a hopefully a beautiful day where you are, and I hope the Lord is moving in your life and, and doing things that, that are exciting. Um, I hope that he's bringing you closer and closer to himself and using you more and more to build his kingdom. Uh, Suzanne and I have been out hiking a, a good bit this week. We took a really long one on Tuesday. Um, it was one of the hardest hikes, frankly, we've ever done. Um, it was about seven and a half miles, but it was it was just brutal on the feet. Uh, and we were both wearing sort of minimalist hiking shoes. And so there was a lot of walking in old creek beds with a lot of uh, rocks and things in them. And so our feet took a beating. It was a good, good hike. Uh, we went up to a place called Devil's Courthouse, which is probably 26, 27 miles from here, up the parkway, uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and, and up above the Pisgah Inn. And so we went up to Devil's Courthouse, which is a rock formation. It's right by the right by the Blue Ridge Parkway. And then you walk straight up this bizarre little um, paved path, and I'm sure they paved it to keep it from... Uh, for the erosion from being too bad. It's only about a tenth of a mile long up that hill, but it's really, really steep. And so that's, I'm sure, why they paved that little piece. And then, so went there and then went off in a different direction and went around to a place called Little Sam Knob and then sort of snuck up on one of everybody's favorite places here, Black Balsam. Um, Went up to Black Balsam for a little bit and um, went to the peak of that and then headed back. Um, but it was it was a good hike, and but Suzanne said never again. Not going to do that one again. I've done it, and and I'm happy with that. So got to find some other things <laughs> for right now. We're going to uh, take a little trip this week coming up. We're going to head up to Cincinnati. Suzanne's infatuated with this hippo that was born there a few weeks ago. So we have to go to Cincinnati to see that. Looking forward to seeing an old friend of mine while we're there, and and also going to the Ark experience. The Noah's Ark thing is just south of Cincinnati, and so we're going to go there, get to go to a Reds, Red Sox game. Both of them stink, so it'll be cheap. That'll be the good thing. Um, and, it, and it'll be fun because, well, it's Major League Baseball. What's to hate? <clears throat> so anyway, looking forward to having a good week coming up, kind of busy, um, probably uh, take stuff with me to, to record while I'm there. I've been recording this week. I'm way ahead on my daily podcast, so I've been recording this week a series that I'm that I'm doing for um, part of Advent, and it's called the Thirteen Attributes of Divine Mercy, and it's uh, based on Exodus 34 uh, verses six and seven, which is when when God meets Moses on the mountain after Moses said, "Let me see your glory," and He says, "You can't see my glory. You can I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I put my hand over you." And then He proclaims on His name as He passes by, and so Jewish scholars for centuries, millennia really, have seen 13 attributes of God's mercy <clears throat> revealed there on the mountain to Moses. And so what I'm doing is taking a look at that because I, you know, I recognize that, that, that one of the weak parts of my own prayer life is, is praise, the language of praise. And so I'm thinking, okay, so if I got 13 different attributes of God's mercy to talk about and think about and pray about, then maybe my prayer life will be better. So that's what I'm doing. And anyway, it's for this first part of Advent. It'll get us through, I'm not sure, it may not be 13 full podcasts. It may be 13 distinct podcasts on the on the attributes, because one of them is forgiving iniquity and sin, iniquity, transgression, and sin. And there's not enough distinction between the three of those to justify really doing 
a podcast on each one. So probably it'll be, it, it may be 13 total, but part of it is going to be preface to the series to kind of get us ready to hear and understand what's going on. So anyway, that's what I've been doing. I've been staying busy and, um, Anyway, so we've been, we, we've had a, a good week. We've had a busy week. We, we got together with some friends in Knoxville on Thursday for lunch. We had uh, took a couple f- to dinner on Wednesday night that we had never met. They, it was a niece of a friend of mine from Chattanooga, and we had a great time with them. And uh, so anyway, it's just been a good week. Uh, uh, everybody's, we're doing well is <laughs> the best way I know to explain it. So anyway, we're, we, we, um, we're we're ready for the next chapter still, but we're still waiting for God to show us and tell us what that next chapter is. So be praying for us that God will show us, and and we will be uh, quick to respond um, to do what He wants us to do. So today, one of the first times in a long time that I could really say that the collect for the day really is the it fits perfectly what I'm going to say. Because um, let me read it again. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we're placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so what it's saying is keep your eye on the right things. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep things in right perspective. And so you would think maybe what we would get would be Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't, be, don't worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, all that kind of stuff. Um, just, just keep your eye on the ball, right? I mean, th- th- where he's going to say things like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will added, be added unto you. Or we could be reading from Ecclesiastes, where we're reminded that these things are passing away, that no matter how much we accomplish in this life, whatever we give to our children in this life, well, he's, Solomon says, we well, never know that whether that next guy's going to be a fool or not. In his case, he was, and it ended up being the division of the kingdom, the, the height of the the Jewish nation was at the time of uh, Solomon, and Solomon laid the seeds for destroying it because he took all these other wives and went after their gods and all that kind of stuff, and so then his son completed the breakup of the kingdom and, and caused it to break into two kingdoms, one based in Jerusalem at Judah, the other based in the north, and that one became Israel. That's what it was known as Israel or Samaria, um, and then the other one became known as Israel ultimately because it it fell a hundred years later than the first one. So those the others are the ones that are called the lost tribes. So you would have thought maybe we would have looked at uh, something from Ecclesiastes and maybe in in the sixth chapter of, of Matthew when Jesus speaks about these things. But no, instead what we have is a parable that had puzzled me most of my life, and I felt like I, I didn't really have anything you know good to say for it. It and then finally. It clicked for me, and, and I think I, I, I know what this is talking about now for the first time in my life. I did I actually wrote a paper on it when I was in seminary and had to look at it from um, two different points of view. One is Western, and the other one was African, and so it was an interesting look at the, the parable, but, but I'm positive that I, that I didn't interpret it right because I, I don't believe either of the commentarists had interpreted it right either. So here, I'm going to start with that today. Because it really is the takeoff for everything else. And then, and then we'll read into that, after that, Jeremiah, and then also from First Timothy. So today we're going to start with the gospel, which is Luke 16, 1 to 13. So he, Jesus, also said to the disciples, there was a rich man, 16, in this area right here in Luke's gospel, it's just parable after parable after parable. It's all teachings, just bam, 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 bam. So anyway, there was a rich man who had a manager. 
and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Now, every parable in the, uh, in the canon that begins with, there was a rich man, it, it's God. It's always God. So we know immediately who this is. So there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him, the rich man, that this man was wasting his possessions. In other words, he was skimming. He, he was either skimming or he was failing to, to get the, the, uh, the return that he should have gotten. And, and we get a little sense of probably some of both of that is going on. But at any rate, the, the man wasn't receiving the return he should have gotten from, from his, his possessions. So he, the rich man, called him and said to him, What is this I hear about? You turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So he's firing him. In fact, he's already fired. He's been told to turn in the account of his management. He can't. He shouldn't be doing anything else. His job is done. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I mean, these are the only two options that he can see for himself is digging, manual labor, and begging. And it's probably not unfair because the word's going to get out that he's, well, you know, crooked. And so nobody else is going to let him manage anymore. So he's going to either have to do manual labor or he's going to have to beg. <clears throat> he said, I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from my management, people may receive me into their houses. In other words, I'm not going to beg, but, but I'm, going to be, I'm going to enjoy other people's hospitality. And, and the only way he can do that then is, is to create an obligation. So he, he's going to create something whereby they will receive him. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. So mark that down by half. He said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, take, he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, th- these are just numbers, you know, right? It's a parable. So it's not like you can look and go, well, 80 measures of wheat would be worth this amount. 100 measures we be this amount. So he should have written that one down more because he wrote the other one down by 50. Well, I don't know how much 100 measures of oil would be and or how much 100 uh, measures of wheat would be. Th- that's not the point. The point is, is that he is conspiring with his master's debtors to reduce the amount that they owe. So he's giving them all a break. He's just taking some off the top and saying, oh, here, here's a discount for you. But what he needs them to do is he needs them to write it in their own handwriting. Because if he does it unilaterally, then the master can go back and go, no, no, I'm canceling all that stuff. No, he got these people involved, so they are co-conspirators with him in doing this. So they're, well, no better than him. So, because nobody said, hey, so why are we doing this? What's the deal here? He's not, he's not even saying the master's a great guy. He'd, he'd like to, you know, take a haircut on all this stuff and let you all have a reduced price on it. No, so the, the, but then what happens, right? So, so what happens after he does this and he calls in all the debtors and, and has them mark down their bills? Because there's more than two of them. Um, we just hear about two. That's the point. He says the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What do you mean? What, what do you mean he commended him? He, he just cost him a lot of money. So why did he commend him? Well, he commended him for what he, what he did to benefit himself, and, and now we're going to hear why. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. 
And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, you may, re- you may be received into the eternal dwellings. One who's faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who's dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If, then, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So what is it that's being commended here? What, what is it that this master has seen? And what, he, what he's not done is commend him as a person, because he commended the dishonest manager. So he didn't commend him as a person. He commended him for his shrewdness. And what is the shrewdness that's on display here? Well, what's on display is, he says, what shall I do? And then he goes on to say, I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So what is it that, he, that he's doing here? Well, he has looked down the road and said, well, there's three alternatives, right? So one is to go do manual labor. He says, I'm not strong enough to do that. And I'm too proud to beg. That's that's an old Percy Sledge song, right? Ain't too proud to beg. So he, he's too proud to beg. So those two options are not really open. So there's only one other option in his mind, and that is I'll be received into other people's houses, and they will give me hospitality. But I didn't beg for it because, well, we made a deal. And so that's what he decided to do. So he decided there are three courses of opportunity for me. These are three options for my future. I'm going to reject A and B, and so I want C. And then he came up with a plan, a shrewd plan, to say, how do I get that? So he takes from the master and then conspires with these people in order that they will receive him. Well, you know, they owe him. He's created that obligation. And so what what he's being commended for is having a plan of action commensurate with receiving the reward that he wants. He's decided this is the preferred future. This is what I'm going to have to do to do it. This is how I'm going to get there. I'll use my master's wealth to get my preferred future. And so he was commended for that. He made a plan. His plan made perfect sense. And it was going to get him exactly what he wanted. And so what's what's being commended is the shrewdness for understanding the future, making a plan to get your own preferred future. All right. So what then is said after that? The sons of this world, him, this dishonest man, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself. So then it goes on and say, okay, so here's what you want to do. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He, he says, your long-term play here, and this is exactly what, what it was that, that Ecclesiastes was about, was to say all our plans are short-term plans because they're based on things under the sun. And so what we need to do is raise our eyes above the sun and set our eyes and our hearts and our minds on the things that are eternal. And if what we want is eternal life, then we should do the things now in this life that get us there. And the first of those things is believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him, and putting all our hopes and all our faith in him, the one who has offered himself for our sins so that we can be forgiven and that we can have eternal life. And then his resurrection assures 
that his sacrifice was accepted on our behalf. And so we too can count on resurrection if we put our faith in him. So that's exactly what, what's being pointed to is to say that, you know what, I look around me and I see people doing all these dishonest things. I see people doing these crazy things that, that to me, it absolutely drives me insane that these people prosper, right? I mean, we've got all these people in Congress who, who are now, we're, we're seeing, have made millions and millions of dollars because of inside information that if you worked in a company and had the same kind of information and then traded on it, you'd be in prison. But if you're in Congress, you get all this other information and you can trade on it and you can end up a very wealthy person. And that's happened over and over and over again. One of our senators here in North Carolina, Richard Burr, that's exactly what he did. He was never prosecuted for it because, well, nobody ever prosecutes him because how could they? I can't prosecute you if I'm doing the same thing. And that's kind of the way it is in this story with these debtors. Well, we're all co-conspirators, so, hey, we all have dirty hands. But, but what's being commended is to say, I look around and I see people doing the things to accomplish what it is they want to accomplish. They're not good things. They're not ethical things, but they work. And so they're using the power they have in, in order to gain what it is they want on the back end. And he, he's saying, I wish that my people kept their eyes on the prize in the same way, but they can't do it. They can't continue to look at things eternal, and so they, they continue to make these bad mistakes, and they'll do unethical things ultimately, because what's important to you, and that's the whole point here, the, the, the owner, the rich man, saw what was important to this, ma- this dishonest manager and, and commended him for for actually coming up with a plan to get him exactly what he wanted to do. He's not commended for his ethical response, but and that's what's really important. You know, and, and, and I've watched this happen again and again in life. I, I, I've watched people do whatever's necessary or whatever they think is necessary. That's the really critical part. To, to accomplish what they want in spite of the fact that they've become unethical as they did it. I've watched people just walk away from people God gave to them to help them and to be their covering and to be their counselors, and they walk away from those people because what those counselors said didn't comport with what they wanted to do. And so they just said, well, it'll be all right in the end. And the answer is, no, it won't. No, it won't. There's a price to pay. There's always a price to pay, and that's the issue. And the further we go down that road in walking away and setting that as the most important thing rather than my own ethics? Could I forego losing that thing that matters to me? Or is it calling me and into places and into bed with people that I'd rather not be in bed with and people that God would certainly not want me to be in bed with? I, I made a mistake like that early in my own career. I knew who I was getting involved with. I, I knew who this guy was. I had seen him do things that were unethical, and, and yet he offered me something, that a, a preferred future, frankly, that I had four other offers. He offered me one that was actually my preferred future. I, w- I would rather have had his, what he was offering me. Well, it worked out badly. We need to be wise about who we are involved with. And when we make decisions... To, to get involved with people in, in any way who we know are not trustworthy and unethical people, then we end up paying a price for that. And God's not going to bless it. 
It's just not going to happen in that way. And so here, that, that's what's being commended, though, is this guy has a plan. He has a very short-term plan. It's, it's his future on this earth. And, and what's being challenged, then, is my people, God's people, don't know what's important. And because they don't know what's important, they can't deal shrewdly. They, they continue to focus on these short-term things rather than the long-term things. They can confuse themselves and, and can, can, can convince themselves that, that the short-term thing is actually a long-term and an eternal thing, but it's not. Not if, it's, not if you have to compromise to do that. Not if you have to, to get involved with, with unethical uh, and untrustworthy people in order to do it, and especially if you're putting away the people that were trustworthy and ethical in order to accomplish that end. And so that, that's what we need to always keep in mind is the long-term thing. If I lose the short-term thing, if I lose the wealth, if I lose the money and all that kind of stuff, well, that is a small price to pay for losing my eternal soul and getting mixed up with people that I know aren't trustworthy, aren't Christian, and aren't ethical. So that, that's exactly what's happened here is, though, that these guys, these debtors, have also been willing to be co-conspirators and to come into this thing, knowing there's a price to pay on the backside, but on the front side of this thing, I'm gonna, I, get a, I get a discount on everything. And so, yep, and now what this rich man knows is I can't trust any of these people, none of them. They're all equally tainted by their association with one another. In the Old Testament lesson today, it's from Jeremiah 8, 18 to 9, 1. He says, this is the prophet speaking now. He says, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold, the cry of the daughter of my people for the length and the breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? That's God's, that's, that's uh, the prophet's question. Where's God? I see my people suffering. I see the people that I love suffering. Where is God? Why is he not here? And then God answers. Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? He says, you want to know where I am? Yeah, I'm angry. Why? Because they rejected me. They turned their backs on me. And and why would that be? And what is this whole carved image and foreign idols thing? Well, almost everything that they turn to is seeking after prosperity. God's not giving them everything they want, so then they turn to these carved images images and their foreign idols, and they chase after those because they promise prosperity in abundance of what God's giving. And, and how do we know that? Well, we know it for multiple reasons, not the least of which is that through Jeremiah, God tells them they're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, and they should settle down there and do all the things necessary to make a life for themselves there. And the reason they're going to be there 70 years is because they have failed to give the land its Sabbaths. They were supposed to leave the land un, um, unproductive, every seventh year, and every 50th year as well. So they, they had not done so for 490 years, so they were going to have to spend 70 years in Babylon because they hadn't given the land its rest. They wanted more and more and more. They weren't satisfied with what they could get that way, God's way. So they go after these other things so because they want more and more and more and more and more of earthly stuff. And that's the important part to them. So that's what's happened. That When it says they've provoked him to anger with carved images and their foreign idols, they're chasing prosperity. That pretty much always <laughs> defines why people leave God. It's not profitable enough to follow him and to trust him. So they, they go after other things. That's Baal is a fertility god. So if, they, if they're not getting enough rain— to make the crops grow as well as they want them to so that they can make more and more and more and more money, then they turn to Baal to make those crops better. 
So that's exactly what God said. And now the prophet is speaking again. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. And so the harvest, the first one would have been the grain harvest, and the, the next one would have been the fruits and things like that. The summer would be that. And, and he says, so we've gone through these two seasons, and, and if one of, usually if one of them was bad, the other one would be good, at least to make up for it at some level. Here what, they, what it's saying is, no, 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 both of them failed. He said, for the wound of my daughter, for the, for the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold on me. Jeremiah can't stand to see the suffering of the people. He sees it, and he knows that the people have gone astray. I mean, it, there, there's not a secret to him that the people have gone astray. Well, it's, it's, it all starts with leadership. And if you're in a position of leadership and you're not following the Lord, then, then well, there's no reason for other people to either because monkey see, monkey do. Right. So so that it all begins with leadership. And so the leadership at this time was headed in a wrong direction after King Josiah was killed. Josiah did the reforms that, that were restoring the worship of Yahweh to its to its rightful place and removing all these other altars. And then he was killed and then it went to pieces again. And so as leadership goes, so goes the nation, and, and that's going on here. And so he's, he's hurting. He said, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? The, Gilead, that part of the, the uh, country, the nation of Israel, was a place that was known for these two things. They, they were known for physicians, and they were known for healing arts, is a better way to say it, probably. Why, then, has the health of my daughter of my people not been restored? Well, we know, because they haven't restored Yahweh. They're still chasing after other gods. They still aren't keeping the main thing the main thing. They're still setting their sights on gain in the present. They want more and more and more of the stuff of earth and less and less and less of Yahweh and his rules and restrictions. That's why the wound has not been healed. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And, and in that, in that sentiment right there, he, the prophet, is, is doing exactly what a prophet should be doing, which is aligning himself with the pain of his people. He's got to also align himself with God because he has to represent God faithfully to the people, and then he has to intercede before the Lord for the people. He can't separate himself and begin to speak ugly of the people, which is exactly what Elijah did. He finally got fed up and said, I'm the only one left. The rest of them have gone after these other gods. I'm the only one left. Well, that wasn't a true statement. Let's start there. But it also wasn't his job to become the accuser of the people before the Lord. He can speak the Lord's accusations against them to them, but it's not his job to go before the Lord and be the accuser of the people. That's what Satan does. And so when he becomes the accuser of the people before the Lord, he stepped out of his role as prophet. And that's the reason that Elijah got decommissioned, and he had to go back and, and lay hands on Elisha and consecrate him as the prophet to take his place. So Jeremiah constantly aligns himself with the people. He hates to see the pain of his own people, even though he knows of their apostasy. So the, the problem that God said is they're seeking after other gods, and when they seek after other gods, it's always for only one thing. It's greater prosperity. That's the only reason a nation changes its gods like that, is they want something this God won't give, and here it's clearly always prosperity that causes them to leave and go after other gods. And so God said, no, I'm not going to heal them. I can't, because they won't turn to me. 
They, they keep their eyes and their minds and their hearts fixed on earthly things. And therefore, they're going to lose everything because of that. And it's God's desire to see his people come back. And he knows that they ultimately will, but they have to go through the pain of, of discipline in order to get there. And sometimes that can take a long time. There can be a very long delay before that, that's restored. In, in that case, it was 70 years. In, in th- there are other times, and, and you know, obviously, they, they have not been in the land in a long time and certainly haven't controlled the land in a long time until no, the late 1940s. And even then, now, it's, it's a tenuous existence in Israel. And so here, that's exactly what's, what, what's being criticized here is, is that they're, they have lost sight of the main objective, and they've made a smaller objective, the earthly objective, the greater objective. And God's just not going to let that happen. No. The blessedness of his people comes with their obedience and their faithfulness to him and their willingness to align themselves with him, even when the perception is it's costing me something to do that. And he's saying you align yourself with other gods, you align yourself with those people, they have different ethical systems, and they're not ethical in my book. And it's doomed to failure. In the First Timothy passage today, Paul says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings may be made for all people. That's a very different idea, frankly, than what has come before. Because in Judaism, at that time at least, you prayed for other Jews. You weren't obliged to pray for other people in the world. And so Paul says, no, 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 I want you to pour it out. On behalf of other people, I want you to intercede for them. I want you to make supplication prayers for them. I want you to ask for things for the other people. I want you to intercede for them, and I want to give thanksgiving for all, on behalf of all these other people. He says, start there. He's telling us how to live shrewdly for the kingdom. Pray for everybody. And why would you do that? And then he goes on to say, for kings and all who are in high positions. So all people, for kings and all who are in high positions— why? That we may leave a, lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He, so he says, pray for the leaders. Pray for them, that God will bless them, that God will give them wisdom and insight, and that they'll give them forbearance for you. Because that way, if it's a peaceful life and we're praying for them and we're not hating them and we're not slamming them and, and saying all this stuff about them, then they'll leave us alone and we'll have peaceful lives godly and dignified in every way. We'll have every opportunity to continue to preach the gospel. There will be no slander thrown at us for our public uh, proclamations. And, and we could do well to do that now because I think as the church, we've gotten too involved in politics. And I don't care which side of the game you're on, you're too involved in politics probably. It, 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 it consumes too many people. So politics does and prosperity does and all this other stuff does. And so what we end up with is my guy's the hero. My guy's going to save us, whichever guy it is. Well, he's not because they're flawed, fallen, and broken human beings just like me and you. So he can't be my savior. There's only one of those. That's Jesus put our hope and our faith and our trust in him. The more that we, we start showing that we trust these politicians and we put our hopes in them, the more that we have gotten it wrong. Our hope is always and only in the Lord. I don't care how godly a man pretends to be or, or proclaims himself to be. They're all fallible, like us. They're all like us. And we have to be people who, who actually are people of prayer, for all people 
again, it, it goes back to this whole idea of not having enemies and treating people um, the way you'd want to be treated, no matter how they treat you. And so we, we, if we love the way God told us to love, then that will bring us to our knees and pray for these people because we'll understand they're under a deception. They believe the wrong things. And, and they, they're kind of victims, but at the same time, once they set their hearts to harden against God, he's going to let them go in that direction. If that's what you want, then that's your choice. And so he, he, he will do it in order that, hopefully, they'll come to repentance at some point. They'll come to the end of themselves and do this. But, but what we're encouraged to do is pray for all leaders, kings and all who are in high position, and for all people, in order that we may live a quiet, peaceful, godly, and dignified life. He says, this is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Well, if, hey, hey, did you hear that? This is what's pleasing in the sight of God. Well, if you're shrewd, and you know that, then you do that. That's shrewdness right there. That's the kind of commendable shrewdness that has a kingdom value attached to it. He says, it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people, here we go with all people again, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, they can only do that if we love them and if we pray for them. And if we ask God to give them wisdom, discernment, and the Holy Spirit, that, that's why we pray for them. Is it so they won't be the way they are? We don't, we don't get in bed with them. We don't get into business with people that we know are unrighteous people because it's not going to turn out correctly. And so what we do is we pray for those people instead. And that's exactly what Paul says. So shrewdness is knowing what pleases God and doing it. And here Paul says it's to pray for all people, including and particularly, in most instances, those in power. He, he ends up saying, for there's one God— and there's one mediator between God and men. So he, so he gets the Jewish part of it, right? There's one God. That's the Shema. <clears throat> and then there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now, Paul's not denying the, the lordship of Christ when he, calls, when he says the man, Christ Jesus. No, it, nobody would think that Paul thought anything other than Jesus equals God. And he knows that because he heard the voice from heaven the first time anybody heard a voice from heaven that declared themselves to be anybody other than Yahweh. So Paul knows. So he's not saying that Jesus is only a man. He's, he's saying there's one God and one mediator between God and men, and that's the man Christ Jesus. There's one God in three persons. Paul's always clear on that. He's, so he gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So Paul is the ultimate shrewd Christian. He always keeps the main thing the main thing, and he doesn't worry about the, what happens to him or whether it prospers him to do that. He keeps his eyes fixed on the kingdom and says, this is what I was given to do. And what do I want? Paul says, I want to run this race and win that prize. And I keep my eyes fixed on that, not on everything else. If we do that, we'd be a whole lot better off and God would commend us as incredibly shrewd. The world needs to see God's people really make the main thing the main thing and keep the kingdom of God as the prize that is worth all their effort, all their success, and all their prayer.